So this is Don Rico here with the uh, Faith and L podcast, and we're joined by our first guest um, of the season, Artie Boyle. Uh, and Artie has a, a fantastic story to tell, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to allow him to introduce himself to, to our audience. Hi, I'm Artie Boyle, I'm Arthur Boyle from the Boston area, actually hang in Massachusetts. I'm married to Judy, who's uh, actually, this will be our 45th year of marriage. Congratulations. We have 13 children, and oh, we're about wonderful. to have our 21st grandchild. We uh, have been very blessed. Uh, the kids are all doing well and doing many different things. We've also had many challenges along the way. Our second child born is a, was born autistic. Our eighth child we lost to sudden infant death syndrome. So we've had some challenges, but we've had many blessings along the way as well. That's wonderful. Talk a bit about being a father, being a Catholic dad, especially living that life, that witness of having a large family, especially in a, in a society that looks down on that and live, live in this contraceptive culture, even amongst Catholics, but to live that witness of a large family. It's funny because uh, Judy and I, have we've never really cared what other people thought of us. Uh, we, we've always, my wife is very strong in her faith, yeah. uh, Irish Catholic, 100%. I'm half Italian, half Irish, uh, so, but I was always, uh, we met at a very young age, she was 12, I was 13, and we started actually dating then, and it's been a continuation since then, but we started to have children at a very young age, and, you know, one right after the other, yeah. and people would look at us, what are you crazy, why you keep doing this, and, and, and we would always say, uh, it's every child we get is a gift from God, obviously, but sure. with every child comes a loaf. And what I mean by that is, I was struggling, I didn't have a job, and then would have another baby, and then I'd get a job. You know, mm -hmm. we, we couldn't make ends meet, and then we'd get a raise, or we'd get a promotion after having another child. Yeah. And we just kept having them, and finally we had 13, and, and, and fortunately, um, we were always uh, church-going Catholics. Yeah. I did it out of obligation initially, because mm -hmm. I know that's what you're supposed to do. My wife always did it because she was very strong in her faith. Eventually, through an experience I had in Medjugorje, I learned the importance of the Mass and what it really means to us in our faith. So I become a devout yeah. churchgoer, if sure, you will. Sure. And uh, our children have always followed us. We've always had them come to Mass with us. And granted, they've gone through times in their teenage years where they didn't want to go to church or when they yeah. left the house and lived on their own. But once they started having their own children, Every single one of them are in Mass. That's Every wonderful. single one of them are raising the children in the faith. So we're doing the best we can. Are there people that talk about us and say, look at those weirdos with all the kids? And, <laughs> uh, but, you know, I think more people look at us and say, that's a good thing. And because they're all well-behaved, at least reasonably, right. you know, within society's <laughs> of terms. Of course, yeah. And they're all, they're all doing well, and, and they're all carrying the faith. So people look at that and are impressed with it and uh, admire it. And so we don't get a lot of the negativity. We don't get a lot of the, and I go around all over the world talking. Yeah. So I don't really care what people have to say. I, I just tell my story and I know my faith. Yeah. And I know my faith is real. Yeah. And they can believe it or not believe it. It's up to them. That's right. Talk about as a, as a um, father, a husband, um, and then maybe on behalf of your wife, what it means to have 13 children that not only you raised in the faith, but are living the faith now as they've grown older. Well, as a father, it's, it's uh, very fulfilling. I mean, because our whole purpose on this earth is to know, honor, love, serve Jesus so that we can be with him again. Right. 
the Baltimore Catechism. Yeah. <laughs> but that's the truth. Because when you go through this, I've gone through sicknesses. I've, we've lost children, a child. So, I mean, life on this planet is just so short and, and so fragile that we have to look forward to the eternity with Christ. So, as a father, it's very fulfilling to see the kids raised in the faith and, and that, that follow the faith and believe in the faith. Um, as a husband, it makes my wife happy. So that makes me happy. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> and and I really, she's she's she has a tremendous amount of wisdom, so that I have to really kind of back off sometimes on some of the things I want. Like all of our kids played sports. Sure. Every one of them. And they played every sport there was, and I I did that intentionally because I believe you learn a lot of life's lessons from sports. But you know, Sunday mornings or Sunday days would always become a factor with sports, right. and. Fortunately, we have Saturday night mass, Sunday day mass, Sunday <laughs> evening mass. We would never miss mass. Yeah. But it it did become a problem with mm-hmm. with all the sports. So we figured we we navigated our way through all that, and uh, we we figured it out. And you know, as my wife is is always there, she's always encouraging. She's never negative. Yeah. Uh, I try to be the same. It's it's but it's not easy. You yeah. Know? It's sure. not easy. It's hard. Now, one of your one of your children, we spoke about it earlier when we met. One of your sons played for the in the National Hockey League and still does, and uh, has had a tremendous career, a lot of great postseason success. Talk a bit about having a son that's a professional athlete. Well, it's funny when people say, "How's your son doing?" They're most of them are referring to Brian, my yeah. son that's in the National Hockey League. Right. We have eight sons, <laughs> so we always say, "Well, which one?" <laughs> that's right. And the reason I say that is. Brian has been successful in his own right. He's a National Hockey League player, obviously successful, but he's he's middle child. He's literally number seven. Wow. Our oldest daughter is a doctor. So she set the bar More high impressive. right from the beginning. <laughs> she won a big award as the outstanding scholar athlete at MIT when she was at college. So she's done well. My next daughter is, owns her own real estate company. She's done tremendously well. I have a... A daughter that's a teacher. I have a son that was just ordained in the Vatican in St. Peter's last week uh, as a transitional deacon. Will be a priest in May. So I told him he went to number one. That's right. He goes. He surpasses the doctor in the in the hockey play. That's because they always say a son of priest, a chair in heaven. The, amen. Yeah. Amen. <laughs> so we that really um, made us proud. Obviously, yeah. with Christopher becoming a priest, it was very humbling as well. Yeah. But they're all they're all doing. Very well in their own right. I have a daughter that sings in Nashville. Wonderful. You know, I've got uh, the kids that are just all of one that's in retail in L.A. that was a four-time All-American in swimming and diving yeah. at Connecticut College. Yeah. So they've all done pretty well in their own right. They're truly living out what it means to be uh, fruitful in terms of what you have brought forth to the earth and what you've brought forth to our world in terms of how they're impacting other people's lives, all emanating from the relationship you've had with your wife through the church and through Jesus Christ. I mean, that is, that is the ultimate legacy that you can leave right. on society. And people talk about leaving financial legacies. You and I are both in fundraising, and we know right. a lot of people that like to leave financial legacies through their their gifts. But and it's God through that bless. legacy. Yeah. Yes, that's right, and that's wonderful. We we're grateful yeah. for them. But that legacy of children is truly it's funny. a great witness. We have a uh, obviously having thirteen children. We struggled financially most mm-hmm. of our life, and. When we came to our most difficult times of struggling, when we couldn't make ends, you'd throw everything up in the air, and whenever it hit the table, that's the bill you would pay. Right. So, Judy and I would look at each other, and you know, we may not have any money, but we're very wealthy in, in children. Yeah. And in life, and in legacy. Yeah. 
we have a picture at home, so we decided to take a picture of the entire family. Mm-hmm. We have a picture at home of the entire family, and um, it up the sign above it says "All because two people fell in love." Right, right. So and it's and it's it's really kind of an impressive picture because there's so many people in the, in the yeah. picture. It's ridiculous. Yeah, that's wonderful. That is wonderful. Um, um, we've talked about your family. We've talked about you know your faith um, as a father and a, as a husband. Talk a bit about you know obviously why you're here, what you're here to talk about, the miraculous intervention in your life, and um, being diagnosed with terminal cancer and then overcoming that. Well, back in 1999, I was diagnosed. Um, I, I was. Let me back up a minute. I was always a very active, outgoing person. I played a couple sports in college. I was an avid golfer uh, at the time. And back in 99, I, I couldn't play golf. All of a sudden, I'd play four holes. I'd get really sick. Yeah. Something, I'd get really tired. There was a burning inside my body. Anyway, the long shot of the story is I went and was uh, looked at. They couldn't find anything. After a while, they found I had renal cell carcinoma, which was cancer of the kidney. That was in 99. So I had a surgery done, major surgery, removed the kidney, the tumor. Lots of other stuff had happened in between then, which we'll talk about in the talk. Sure. I mean, there was some intervention there. They thought it was in the pancreas, but through a miraculous situation, that was not to be. But anyway, surgery happened, and then eight months later, I went back in for more scans, and it had metastasized to my lungs. So I had three tumors in my right lung. Doctor told me I had less than 5% chance to survive. They had to take out my right lung, and on and on. It was a tremendous depression and, and anxiety that sets in when someone tells you you're not going to make it. Go yeah. home, put your house in order. He literally said those words. Yeah. And that's when a couple of my buddies, my brother-in-law Kevin and my good friend Rob, decided to take me to a place called Medjugorje. Mm-hmm. Now the three of us hardly ever went outside the country. I'd never been outside the country, other than to go to Canada for hockey with Brian. But um, never been to Europe. Or we fly to this little village in Bosnia Herzegovina called Medjugorje. It's the old Yugoslavia, mm-hmm. and through. Um, many situations, many things that happened over there. Yeah, I came back, and not only had they canceled the surgery, but the tumors in my lung had disappeared. So that was back in the year 2000. So through the intercession of the Blessed Mother Mary, and through many things that happened while we were in Medjugorje, which is too long to talk about right now, mm-hmm. I was healed. Yeah. At that point, I made a promise to the Blessed Mother, and I said, "Listen, wherever you want me to go, and tell this story." Whatever you want me to do, I'll do. Yeah. One, of the sto- one of the things she wants us to do in Medjugorje, she asked us to form prayer groups. Mm-hmm. And we formed a prayer group back in 2001, which meets on Thursday evenings. And it's met every single Thursday evening, other than Holy Days, ever yeah. since. Wow. And we've had thousands, literally thousands of people come through. Wow. We have situations during that prayer group. The normal prayer group is probably 40 to 50 people praying the rosary and the chaplet. Sure. However, we have healing masses. We met a priest in Medjugorje in the confessional. Mm -hmm. That's where I learned that the sacrament of reconciliation and the power of forgiveness have the ability to heal your body. So what I knew and learned in Medjugorje is that we cannot be physically healed until we are spiritually healed. I was spiritually healed in Medjugorje, which led to a physical healing. And it has a lot to do with the body. It has a lot to do with your immune system, it has the, there's so much to talk about, but it yeah. all comes from God. And without God, and without the intercession of Mary, I wouldn't have been healed. So I, 
this prayer group, we've seen people healed. Mm -hmm. We've had masses, healing masses, where we've blown out the church, where there's 800 people, yeah. people praying over somebody and they get healed. And we've seen many people receive the ultimate healing, which is to go to heaven. That's right. Because nobody knows. You know, I have no idea what God's plan is. Because yeah. people say to me all the time, why were you healed? Yeah. I have no idea. But I'm very happy for it. Yeah. And I'm going to do whatever I can to help promote his word yeah. you know, while I'm here. Talk about some of the, the spiritual healings that you've witnessed since um, in other people's lives. Are there any that stand out to you? Oh. Spiritual healings that stand out? People that were perhaps on a, a bad track in their life um, spiritually with their faith and are Well, the, the two guys that took me, Rob Griffin, who is from Sitchwood, Massachusetts, mm -hmm. who owned, who, uh, sorry, was a very huge commercial real estate guy in Boston, still is, one of the biggest and then Kevin Gill, who owned the, my brother-in-law, who owned the largest commercial um, HVAC company in New England. Mm -hmm. These two guys were not choir boys. Mm -hmm. None of us were. Yeah. Matter of fact, we went over there, and none of us had been to confession in over 30 years. Wow. It was a very sad thing. Every one of us went to confession. Not only once, but twice, because of a certain priest that Kevin happened to go to a second time. These two guys have taken their faith as I have, and it's been exponential throughout the entire south of Boston. Mm -hmm. It has exploded in terms of people coming back to church. Yeah. Because we continue, all of us have continued to tell the story. All of us have continued with the prayer groups and the healing masses. More and more people are coming, and they're coming from all over the country mm -hmm. to come and, and be a part of this because everybody wants to be a part of something good. Yeah. And this is something really good. And it doesn't cost you anything. Yeah. And, it, and it's, it's all about our faith. And I've seen many, many other people. We had a gentleman that had Parkinson's disease mm -hmm. from Situate Mass. Mm -hmm. We took him to Medjugorje, Kevin and I did. He climbed the mountain. He lost it on the, the stations of the cross where Jesus was crucified. Um, he was not healed in Medjugorje. Mm -hmm. But he came back. And while walking on the beach in Situate Mass, got struck down. And when he turned around and looked up, Jesus Christ was telling him to stop his medicine. He was on 42 different medications. He came off the medication cold turkey. His name is John Norris from Situate mm -hmm. Mass. And he was healed of Parkinson's disease. Wow. The, only, the only circumstance I've ever heard of where anyone's been healed of Parkinson's disease. So I know anything's possible with God. All mm -hmm. things are possible. I've seen many, many people spiritually healed. Yeah. There's been conversions of the thousands that have come out of Medjugorje. Um, and, I, and, and I'm not saying you have to go to Medjugorje to be converted. Sure. I happen to do that. Right. And it's a supernatural place of peace, so yeah. why not go if you can? Yeah. But you could be healed of on the on the beach in Situate Mass mm -hmm. or on the, the beach in Fort Myers. Yeah. Wherever. Wherever God is, you can be healed as long as you believe. Christ and the Blessed Mother can intercede wherever they, they like to obviously bring good out of a bad situation and, and uh, well, draw others to him. It's, you know, it's funny because I tell a story, like, hey, God has a plan in your life, and I'll tell the story tonight mm -hmm. when we meet, but the long and the short, God has a plan, and, and, and uh, in my case, my plan was never to get cancer, yeah. but cancer was the best thing that ever happened to me, because it brought me back to God. That's right. So that, when I see that in my own life, I go, you know, we need to trust Him. Whatever it is He gives us, we need to trust that that's the thing that's going to bring us closer to Him somehow, some way, yeah. and I don't know how that is. But in my case, it was cancer. If you could talk a little bit about going through suffering. We live in a world where we try to um, numb suffering with so many different things, so many different drugs and 
different sources of entertainment, all different ways we try to tune out suffering or not go through suffering or understand or you know want to experience it. Talk about the merit of suffering, the merits that can be gained through Christ and the well, church. Well, I think Christ. I mean, why would we need God if we didn't suffer? I mean, if if we if all of us were perfectly healthy all the time, we'd be so far away from God it isn't even funny. I've, I'm not going to say I suffered my whole life. I've lived, sure, you know, and I've lived as a basically uneducated. I had a, I went to college, but I had to leave because I got married at such a young age. So I'm not, I don't have an education, a college degree. Mm-hmm. I have fought through many different crazy jobs in my life. I finally ended up as a fundraiser <laughs> at the Archdiocese of Boston, which yeah. is, which is like a suicidal position anyway. Yeah. And then uh, we've had all these children, and so, and I've had sicknesses. I've had an autistic child. I've lost a child. Uh, my wife's been sick at, at certain points. I've been sick. Kids have been sick. It's like there's a suffering there. But when I get sick with cancer, I mean, I had lost 45 pounds. It looked like I was dying. It was pretty, pretty bleak. I never once did I say, why me? Or why is this happening to me? I just said, okay, I've got to fight this. What do I do to fight this? How do I beat this? Yeah. And, and other than the medicines and the doctors, which we need, you know, I turned right to Christ. I can remember driving down the road one day and I hadn't said the name um, Jesus in a long time. Yeah. And I just started saying Jesus over and over. Yeah. And I got so emotional. Of course. And it was a turning point for me. Yeah. Because I brought him back into my life. And then I went to Medjugorje and I saw all these things and I realized how important the Mass was and then confession. And as soon as I came out of confession, the anxiety and depression that had been killing me was gone. Mm-hmm. And I instantly realized that I'd been spiritually healed and everybody needs that. And I said, I'm going to go back and tell everybody I know this. Yeah. But the suffering that we've, we've had has just been necessary. And it's made us stronger. You know, you, go, you hear this, if it doesn't kill you, it makes you stronger. <laughs> but, um, you don't want to suffer. I don't want to get sick. Yeah. I don't want other people to be sick. But if you come out on the other end, you feel, you know, you, you feel invigorated, you feel justified in the suffering, and, and it brings you, it always brings you closer to God. Yeah. Everything brings you closer to God that is of suffering. And, and I don't think he gives, he doesn't give us the suffering. He, he allows it to happen, yeah. and it makes us closer to him, yeah. which is all he wants. If we would do it without suffering, then maybe we wouldn't have any. Right, exactly. <laughs> So you, saw, you talked about how you and your brother-in-law and your buddy had been 30 years since you went to confession. Right. Talk a little bit about why you think, particularly amongst men, um, the church has experienced such, such a loss of faith. Why is it that so many men have been away from the sacraments and um, have they fallen into the things that this world offers? And obviously there's a lot of traps for men to fall into, a lot of temptations. Or is it something the church isn't doing in terms of evangelizing men um we so need strong spiritual fathers and husbands not only responsible um in terms of taking care of their families but more important than that responsible in terms of being the spiritual leaders in their families and leading their children and their wife to god and through the church why why have we suffered so much in that regard in the church in your opinion i think there's a lot of reasons i think that uh, society is you know with the technology that's involved now, the younger men that are coming up. I mean, men my age, I'm in my 60s, you either have faith or you don't at this point. And, and you may have lost it through the scandal in 2001, 
which I think is an excuse personally because man has nothing to do with God. And a lot of guys will tell me, oh, because of this. I say, come on, will you please? God has nothing to do with that. Your faith is still your faith. These are bad guys. Yeah. You know? So yeah, I try and talk to them that on a man-to-man basis. Um, but society, with the young guys now, there's so much freedom in the technology, which is crazy. It's ruined us. But I also think the church, and I've, and I've really thought a lot about this, um, our priests can make a huge difference. Our priests, if you get the right priest, and we happen to be blessed with many good priests on the South Shore of Boston, mm-hmm. especially with the youth. They've really connected with the youth so that the churches are starting to fill up with families because the youth are coming in. Yeah. And these are guys that are really evangelical, not, I mean, in a Catholic way. Sure. And, and they are, they're outspoken, they're friendly, they're kind, they're out on the streets, they're visiting, they're welcoming people in. Yeah. They're not doing the boring homily. They're, not, yeah. they're, they're engaging. They're interacting with people. I think, um, like my own son, who's becoming a priest, mm-hmm. I said to him, listen, you have got to be a good homilist. Mm-hmm. You've got to be a guy that you've got to figure out a way to, to get to the people, figure out what, what they're dealing with, and bring the Gospels and the, and the Scripture into what they're dealing with and, and somehow relate that. Yeah and stay young and vibrant and yeah. energetic. Uh, too many of our guys are too old and, they get, and they're losing you know, mm-hmm. the, the desire to do what they're supposed to be doing. And that hurts too. So, but, but that's where laymen have to come into play. And you've got this Faith in Hell group down yeah. here, which is phenomenal. Yeah. You need to do more of that. We have similar things up in Boston, but we don't have a faith in ale, which I think we should start. Mm-hmm. Because you're bringing guys in with pizza and beer, and yeah. then you're talking about God, or you bring in a good speaker or something. Yeah. That's the way to bring men into it. Yeah. And, and men are different than women. They're always going to be. Mm-hmm. When I went to Medjugorje, the first time, it struck in my heart that I needed to bring more men back. Because men are the heads of the house, and they need to lead the home in prayer. Yeah. And if we're not praying in the home, then we're not praying outside the home. Yeah. So that I went back with 40 guys. 40 guys, and it absolutely had an impact on every single one of those guys. My next dream was to go back with 100 guys. Next week, I'm going back with another 40 guys. Congratulations. And it's just these guys, and some of these guys are uh, in program mm-hmm. that are looking for a way out. And I'm going to tell you right now, they're going to find a way out. There's a place over in Medjugorje called Chinacolo, mm-hmm. which has like a 95% cure rate on, wow. on people that are, you know, we're off on a tangent here. But sure. It's just tremendous what can happen with true faith. Yeah. And Chinacolo is all based on work and faith. That's all it is, work yeah. and faith. And these guys, sometimes they're in the program for three years over there, but they come out cured. Yeah. Of, something that's so bad but. And, and that there's a long history of that in the church obviously benedictine spiritualities aura et labora faith and you know work in yeah, prayer work in prayer yeah. um and so the church has a long long history of um using work as a me- work and prayer together as a means of um growing in your faith right. growing in your spirituality talk i would imagine the rosary was have been a big part of your well the blessed mother and in, in medjugorje and I, I don't want to keep bringing that because it's also the church but yeah and there's five main messages, and uh, the first message is pray the rosary. Yeah. Pray the rosary with your family, because she said in one of her messages, Dear children, there can be no peace in the world until there is peace in the family. Yeah. And there can't be peace in the family unless there's prayer in the family. Pray the rosary. 
So we started the rosary, and the rosary is obviously four mysteries, but it's the story of Jesus Christ. It's not a boring prayer. You're not supposed to pray on the Our Fathers and the Hail Mary. You're right. supposed to focus on the mystery. I learned all this, and, yeah. and now I try to, to bring that to other people. But the other, there are other stones. So she asks us to put the Bible at a place of prominence at home and read it because that's the Word of God. It's our sustenance, like mm -hmm. our water. Yeah. She invites us to go to Holy Mass every single day. So when the children of Medjugorje see her, they see her as you and I, mm -hmm. like three-dimensional. And, yep. and she said, dear children, if you have an opportunity to come see me or to go to Holy Mass, don't come see me. Go to Mass because that's where my son is. Her entire purpose on this planet is to point us to Jesus Christ, her son. Yeah. So she invites us to go to Mass, read the Bible, pray the rosary, go to confession once a month because this life is so difficult. The church says once a year, she invites us to go once a month and then also to fast because fasting gives us discipline over our bodies, yeah. which makes us stronger in our prayer. Yeah. So those are the five main messages of Medjugorje, all theologically correct and all very powerful. That's right. Uh, talk a little bit about fasting. Has that, has, since your, your recovery, has that been something that's been a big part of your life? And it's been the most difficult by far. I'm sure. <laughs> Especially if, you're if you've been around, any spending any time in South Boston, I imagine, yeah. <laughs> well, it's, it's really hard. She invites us to fast on bread and water on Wednesdays and Fridays which I have not done. I've, I've started doing that initially. And then, so I don't eat meat on Fridays. Mm -hmm. And she's, um, uh, she said, if you can't do that, then give up something that you like. So you give up alcohol, you give up coffee, you give up things like that. As long as you're doing something that you want to do, not doing something that you want to do, that's yeah. a form of fasting. So it's, uh, when we go to Medjugorje, we'll have to live by the rules mm -hmm. of Medjugorje, which, yeah. You know what? It's a good thing. Yeah. What have you found in terms of um, how your life has changed since you've um, obviously embarked on speaking and taking people to Medjugorje and um, written a book? How has your life changed for the better? Perhaps maybe even become more challenging in some, some respects. What have you seen? Uh, I pretty much tried to keep my life the same. Uh, it's there is a lot of travel, which for, for me, when I get to talk, it's, it's incredibly fulfilling because I get to, it brings me back to when I was healed and I get to speak on behalf of the Blessed Mother and Jesus. Yeah. So that is just a tremendous honor. My life has changed in the fact that the expectation people have of me and my family is much higher now than it was before. I mean, mm. we're not expected to make any mistakes, so we're not sure. expected to do anything wrong I'm just a regular guy yeah you know, I still play hockey I drink beer with the guys I, right. I, I get stupid once in a while it's right. just it's, it's just what I am yeah you know, I still play golf sure. which I love and, and, and you know but I go to mass and I, and I go to all the sacraments and I, and I go to adoration and I believe very strongly in my faith God doesn't want us to be a lump on a log he yeah. wants us to enjoy our life yeah but the expectation of other people what they expect of us I yeah. think is do you find that your friends act differently around you? Maybe ones that have not undergone as deep a spiritual conversion as you have. Do they act differently around you? They try and watch their language. They try and not talk about certain things. What Some of them say that. Some say, oh, I shouldn't have sworn. But you know what? I swear to. So it's, it's <laughs> no, no, I, they don't. Initially, they might have thought that. But all of our friends are very close. And they get it. Yeah. And they're, they're all, most of my friends are also faith-filled. Not all of them. Sure. And I don't care. I don't judge those guys. I mean, I got yeah. some dear friends that just don't go to church. Yeah. All right. I mean, I go to church. Hopefully, by my example, 
they'll go. But they have no interest in going to church. Whatever they have their own reasons. Maybe someday that'll change. Yeah. I don't know. But most of the guy, most of the people, maybe I just don't see it. Yeah. You know, I'm not looking for. I don't really care. I'm just living my life the way I'm supposed to live it, or at least the way I think I'm supposed to live it. Yeah. In the eyes of God, and then whatever happens, happens. Whatever anybody else cares, I don't care. Sure. <laughs> I really don't. So now, how'd you get into fundraising? Now you, you're you're a, uh, a major gifts officer. What, what is your your title with the Archdiocese of Boston? Senior development officer. You're a senior development officer with the Archdiocese of Boston. Right. How did you get into fundraising? And then, if you could talk a little bit about um, what it means to fundraise for something that you truly believe in, and, and, and well, have that as a career. Well, it's funny because those two things are tied in. So I, I was in transportation for thirty years. I owned a trucking company, LTL, air freight, the whole nine yards. Mm-hmm. That's that's when I believe I got sick. Actually, I did get sick at that point, and I was out a year and sold the company after I came back. And I went into the mortgage business because I could always sell. Sure. For five years at the worst time, you could possibly go into the mortgage business. Mm. And while I was there, I was always praying because I had already been healed. And I was praying to God, like, I really want to do something that's fruitful, that is fulfilling. You know, I want to work for the church somehow, some way. Well, I got a phone call from a good friend that said they're hiring a development officer at the Archdiocese of Boston Mm -hmm. to do this campaign for Catholic schools, which was inner city Catholic elementary schools to raise money for it. Sure. Would you interview I said, sure. So I went and interviewed, and there was a guy named Jack Connors, that, as they call him, the Prince of Boston or something. He, <laughs> the guy is very wealthy and has mm-hmm. given, given a lot of money to many philanthropic endeavors. He hired me. So I started working with the Archdiocese of Boston, and that was almost nine years ago. And I started out just going everybody I knew. Yeah. And I have a lot of friends that happen to be wealthy. Yeah. And they contributed because what we were doing was giving kids in Boston, the minorities that had mm. no opportunity to get out, an opportunity through education. Yeah. So everybody saw this. We've rebuilt four schools in the city of Boston. Congratulations. And it's, we've raised well over $80 million to raise to build these schools. We've had Suffolk Construction, which is the largest construction company sure. in Boston with John Fish, has rebuilt the schools for us. He got paid, but he didn't get paid till afterwards, which is very unusual. Yeah. It's a lot of wonderful things start happening, and this was all Cardinal Sean, his, his, his vision to make mm-hmm. this happen. While I was doing that, the Catholic Appeal needed help as well within the Archdiocese, so I started working with the Catholic Appeal, I worked with the Celebration of the Priesthood Dinner, all different things. So I've met many, many people that are very, very wealthy. Through different fundraisers or whatever, we sure. started Artie and Judy Boyle Scholarship Endowment mm-hmm. just for these kids, mm-hmm. which is We've got over two hundred thousand dollars in there. We've got over a million dollars in another endowment. We've got, we've raised an awful lot of money um, to help other people out. And now the appeal is for the church and for the fifty ministries within the Archdiocese of Boston. But all that stuff is is all to help build our faith. Yeah. I mean, we lose the inner city elementary schools. We're going to lose the faith in the city of Boston. Yeah. You cannot possibly take all these kids. It's thirteen hundred students and put them into the public schools in Boston. It would be overwhelming to the public schools mm-hmm. and would lose the faith. So yeah. we believe very strongly in this. What a lot of people don't realize is that the multiple um, places where the loss of locations has impacted the church and our society as a whole, and one of those places is obviously in the inner city school system because that's where um, religious vocations, where sisters right. and brothers would go and teach for basically free. 
Right. And now the schools have to go and hire right. uh, teachers, which is a big difference from what, the way it was maybe 50, 60 years ago when you can simply just tap into the religious orders. Right. And those are gone now. And so when people see the tuition at these schools, they really want to send, you know, Catholic families really want to send, and non-Catholic families want to oh, send sure. their kids to a Catholic school. But there's challenges, and that's... Financially, and that's where you come in as a fundraiser, where you're helping fill that gap. I would imagine through, as you mentioned, scholarships and well, different things. Forty percent of our kids are not Catholic. Wow. So, but they all have to abide by the rules of sure. the church right. because we're there. That's, right. So it's a Catholic school. Um, we have programs called Adopt a Student. So it costs six thousand dollars to educate a child, and we only charge forty five hundred dollars in tuition. Most of these people can't pay that money at all. So we're already $1,500 down when we start. Yeah. So now we've got to make up the whole difference. So we have a program called Adopt-A-Student. It's $6,000 a year. We ask people to invest in children that way, yeah. which they do. We have endowments. We have, um, we have something called the Honor Roll, which is an annual giving program that people absolutely love and get involved in. Mm -hmm. So what I do a lot is take people on tours of the school. The kids sell the school. Oh, totally. So yeah. you take them in, and these kids are full of life. They're in uniform. They're, yeah. As a matter of fact, uh, very recently I asked, which I hadn't asked this question before, and I don't know why, I said, maybe because my son was going through it, I said, does anybody in here, it was eighth grade class, does anyone here have a vocation interest? Mm -hmm. And one kid in the back raised his hand and said, yeah. yes. I said, really? He goes, yeah. So I put him in touch with the location director at the Archdiocese of oh, Boston. Great. And the next time I went on another tour, I said to him, do you still have that interest? He goes, I absolutely do. So it's, it's funny because unless you ask, yeah. we didn't, I never knew. And I had done hundreds of tours before that and never asked the question. So now I said, that's part of my yeah. <laughs> routine. And that should be part of your routine because I always hear as a, as a fellow fundraiser uh, in a different line of work that the common question when you ask wealthy people why they didn't give to a cause is you never asked. Never asked, right. And it's the same principle in the priesthood. Are we asking our young yeah. men in, in the church, right. have you considered a call to the priesthood? And, and that is the highest calling for a man, right. uh, even above being a father and a husband, yeah. is to be a priest in Christ's church. Um, so that's wonderful that not only are you helping educate kids, but perhaps finding new vocations for the Archdiocese of Boston. Well, we need the help. Yeah. We do. We need. We need. Yeah. Locations are hurting. Uh, even though the archdiocese, the seminary in Boston is doing pretty well. We just recently had some more issues, but it's overall it's doing pretty well. We need. We need help in, with vocations. I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you what has been the um, biggest challenge for you in terms of overcoming a lot of the stigma that is now attached to the church, particularly in Boston. Um, with the sex abuse scandals and the cover-ups. It's, it's basically a sex abuse scandal. People yeah. people look at us in the church and think we get too many bad guys. We're, we're a place for people to hide, you know, and you know, maybe that was the, the truth for a little while. Yeah. Uh, but that's all been kind of taken care of. We're shaking the trees. I mean, yeah. this was all predicted at Garabandal when the Blessed Mother so in, true. In yeah. the, it said the priests and bishops will lead the people down the road to perdition. Yeah. This has all been prophecy. Yeah. So now it's come true. Yeah. And we are shaking the trees. We are getting rid of the bad fruit. And there's a lot of good guys in there. Yeah. There's a lot of good guys. And I feel so bad for those guys. As a matter of fact, when my son was ordained, he did his first Mass the next day at Cardinal Sean's titular church, which is uh, Santa Maria della Victoria in, yeah. in Rome. 
And during the Mass, the priest that said the Mass, Chris did the homily, my son Chris, mm -hmm. but the priest that said the Mass, he goes, he gets so emotional and actually had tears in his eyes because there were 57 of these guys with Dane and maybe four of them were on the altar at the time. And he said, can you, can you believe these guys? What we're going through and they're actually joining us? Yeah. They're actually want to be one of us? Yeah. He goes, this is what makes us encouraged and wants us to continue to go on yeah. as a priest. You see these young men coming in that mm -hmm. want to join. So it gives us all hope to see all these guys. And all these guys are good-looking young men that have tremendous faith. So hopefully hopefully the tide's turning. There's a, an old quote, and I always forget who it's in its by, but it's the church, if you look at how all the mistakes that humans make inside the church, the church has to be divine. No institution oh. could survive no. the amount of controversy and mistakes and scandal that has happened through the centuries, not right. just now. Oh, through uh, the centuries, for yeah. sure. Um, and I'm glad you brought up Garabandal. I, 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 and obviously you've been to Medjugorje. I, I highly urge anyone who listens to this um, interview to explore um, the prophecies going back to La Salette and Our Lady of uh, Quito and um, obviously Fatima and Lourdes. Um, there has been so many warnings that have been given by our Blessed Mother to us. Right. Um, Akita, most recently uh, in Japan. Right. Um, so many different warnings to let us know you're, you're on the wrong path. I'm trying to save you like a good mother would. Right. Please go to my son. Please turn away from the things you're doing. And all the things that we're seeing today, both in the secular world and inside the church, have all been prophesied by our Blessed Mother to various people around the world, right. um, very, very holy people. And um, Well, I, even if they're not, you ask Ivan, you ask the visionaries yeah. of Medjugorje. Ivan and I are very good friends. Mm -hmm. I've been there 17 times. Him and I have traveled all over the world. He's a regular guy. Yeah. He will never say he's a holy person. Mm, yeah. He, when he was, when the Blessed Mother appeared to him, he was a 16-year-old kid that knew nothing, didn't know about any other apparitions, knew went to church because he was supposed to. Yeah. He, he's just like the rest of us. Sure. There's no, he just happened to be one that she picked. Yeah. And he has been the spokesman for her ever since. Yeah. So it's when you get to know these people, you know how special they are because they see the Blessed Mother all the time. Yeah. yeah. So they're, they're granted a gift yeah. but that we don't have. Yeah. Well, it has been great sitting down with you, Artie. Talk a bit about how people can find your book. Um, title of your book, where they can find it, and then obviously if there's any of the things that we can mention to draw them to your ministry and what you're do, doing around the world. Well, the name of the book is, uh, and it wasn't my choice, <laughs> it's called Six Months to Live, Three Guys on the Ultimate Quest for a Miracle. And it was funny, to get this book published was a tremendous undertaking. Um, went to 42 different publishers, it was too Catholic, it was too this, too that. All it is is a simple read, a very easy story. Uh, but then what's funny is one of the publishing houses, the guy that said no, died of the exact same disease I had. Wow. And the, the owner said, I want that book. So Crossroads Publishing did it. It's a Crossroads Publishing book, Six Months to Live, Three Guys in the Ultimate Quest for a Miracle. Um, I can be reached at apatboyle at gmail.com. Uh, like I said, I've never said no when someone's asked me to speak. And I've gone all over the world. I've been to... Peru, Ireland, Vienna, Austria, mm -hmm. obviously Medjugorje, sure. all around there, all over Canada, the United States. Yeah. Um, it's been just a gift to be able to speak on behalf of Our Lady and Jesus. Amen. Amen. And if you want mind joining me in prayer as we close out our interview, in the name of the, Father, the Father, and the Son, and the Holy, Holy Spirit. Ghost. Amen. 
Dear Lord Jesus Christ, we thank you for bringing us together. Thank you for bringing Artie down to Southwest Florida to uh, speak to our, our Catholic men's apostolate. We ask that his words touch the hearts and souls of men that, that truly need it, that tru truly need to be called back to you, and that through Artie's work and through the work of all those throughout the church seeking to serve you, you may draw um, all men and women back to the one true holy Catholic Church. And we ask this through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Amen. In the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Artie. Thank you. That's the